If you have your Bibles today, you can go ahead and get those out, however you access those. We're going to be in John 21 today. We're ending this series on hope and trying to learn to choose hope other other things. I remember growing up, one of the times I needed the most hope in my life uh, was when I just really messed up. There were, there were words that I feared to hear come out of my mother's mouth, which was this, wait until your father gets home. I mean, that was like the fear just came over me. My, my dad rarely got upset. My mom would always, you know, I mean, just about anything she could, she could fly off the handle at and just yell and scream. That was just her nature. But my dad, when it came time for him to like sit down and talk with us, like we had crossed not one line, but we had crossed the big line. And I just remember that feeling of like, Sitting there, like my mom, I think knew. I think sometimes she would just do that to make me go to my room and be quiet because I would sit there and think, What's going to happen? What is going to happen when dad gets here? Nothing good can happen. Like, I, I was already just fearful. And in all honesty, it usually wasn't that bad. I mean, he would talk to me, he would teach me, and sometimes, you know, he would, he would uh, get a little more angry at me if it, if it deserved that. Uh, but those words, that fear of like, that I needed hope in that moment. I felt hopeless because of what I had done. And we're going to be looking at a passage today that deals with this idea of how do we choose hope over guilt? How do we deal with it when we are just guilty in our lives? And over the past few weeks, we've been journeying together uh, on this last few days of Jesus, watching him go from being with his disciples to being arrested, to being beaten, crucified, and then eventually uh, being buried in a tomb as we looked last week, and now raising from the dead. And as we looked at this story, we've seen Jesus, even in the toughest days of his life, share hope. He shared it with Barabbas, a man that was sentenced to die, and Jesus literally died on his behalf. He shared it with the criminals on the cross that their, their days were down to minutes that they had to live, and yet even in those moments, he, uh, he put hope back in very anxious moments. And then last week we looked at Jesus and Mary Magdalene. And even in the depths of sorrow of Mary feeling like she had lost everything and couldn't see anything else, Jesus brought hope through his resurrection and through his restoration with her. And today we're going to be talking about a final encounter that Jesus had after his resurrection. This probably happened about two weeks after the, the time when he came out of the grave and it's Jesus' interaction with Peter. With Peter. Now, I want, I want to read one verse to you to get us thinking about where this story is going. If you've got your Bibles again, we're going to be in John 21. This is verse 15. If you're not familiar with looking at Scripture, most of it will be on the screen behind us today. And it says this in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, this was after the crucifixion, about two weeks, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I want you to get a picture here. News had traveled that Jesus had risen from the grave. And this is really the first long encounter that Peter, one of his closest friends, has with Jesus. And if you don't know much about the Peter story, this seems like a weird question. Like, you've been hanging out with me for three years, Jesus. Do you love me? Do you love me more than these, these other guys that are around here? So this one sentence is so packed 
full of truth that for us to understand it, we need to actually go back and look at the history of Jesus and Peter. And so I want to talk to you through for these first few minutes about this relationship that Jesus and Peter had, because it is so important to understand the power of this moment and what Peter was feeling and what Jesus was feeling and that how it relates to us today. So let's ask this question. How did these two become so close? How did their lives become so intertwined? When we go back and look at scripture, we actually see that Peter was one of the very first people to not only follow Jesus, but to also begin to believe that he was the Messiah, that there was something different about him, that he was the one that the nation of Israel had been longing to come to, to rescue them. And in John, when we learned that in John 1, we learned that Peter had a brother, and his brother's name was Andrew. And one of the things we learned about Andrew is Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. Now, just to help you understand, John the Baptist was not part of the religious uh, establishment of his day. Actually, he kind of was really pushing back against them. And so one of the things we can learn early on is that Andrew and probably his brother Peter were not part of just the re typical religious establishment there in Jerusalem, in the Galilee area. They were, they were fishermen, um, but they probably weren't going around the temple every day to hear these guys speak. They were looking for something new, and they found something new in John the Baptist. John was calling religious leaders out. He was exposing corruption between the priests and Rome. He was calling people to true repentance and surrender. He was baptizing people with water to symbolize their desire to become clean before God. Just to give you an idea, he was literally introducing a new way to show your repentance before God outside of the traditional system. This is why most people didn't like John the Baptist. He was kind of a, a rebel. But there was another consistent message that John was regularly communicating, and it was this, that the Messiah is coming. There is, the Messiah is on his way. He's imminent. And as John's teaching this, one day Jesus walks up to where John is. It's almost certain that Andrew was there. And as Jesus walks up, he walks out to where John is and where John is baptizing people. And Jesus says, you need to baptize me. And John argues with him. And, and then John sees a sign from heaven and he baptizes Jesus and he says this, surely this is the Messiah. Peter's brother, Andrew, heard the first public pronouncement of Jesus being the Messiah, the Lamb of God. You go down later in verse 35 in John 1, it says the next day Andrew was standing there again and Jesus walked by John the Baptist again. And John goes, there he goes again. That's that guy. If you weren't here yesterday, that's Jesus. That's the one I told you. I'm not sure why you're still hanging around me, but go with him. And so that's what uh, Andrew and the other disciple that was with him, we think that's John, that's what they do. They start following Jesus, and they really come up to Jesus, and they were like, they use this great pickup line. They were like, uh, where are you going? And that's what it says in the Bible. Jesus was like, I guess I'm going. I'm like, if you guys want to walk with me, come on. And so they walk with him. Where John was was typically a good ways out of Jerusalem, so it probably took him a couple of days to walk back in toward uh, where Andrew and Jesus was at the time. And so as Andrew was walking with him, he became convinced that this guy was the Messiah. And when they got to where they were going, the first thing Andrew did was he went and got his brother, Peter. And he said, Peter, this thing that we've been hoping for, this guy, this Messiah, this Son of God, this Lamb of God, I think I've met him. 
you need to come meet him. And so Peter goes with Andrew without hesitation. And this is Peter's first encounter with Jesus. He walks in and Jesus does something just off the wall. He was crazy. He says, hey, you're Peter. Or you're, you're Simon, son of John. I know who you are. Now, that, that might be a little off-putting to you, but maybe it was also a little prideful for Peter. Like, yeah, people know. I, like this guy, he knows me. And then Jesus all of a sudden goes, but hey, you know what? I'm going to call you something else. I already got a nickname for you. And uh, he's like, I'm going to call you Cephas, which means Peter or the rock. And, and in that moment, in his very first moment of meeting Peter, Jesus saw potential in him. Jesus saw what he could become. He saw the hope for his life instead of the fear of maybe stuff that he'd already missed. Peter was older than the other disciples. He was the older one of this group. And, and many of the extra biblical texts that we look at and stories from that time would portray Peter as this guy who felt like he maybe should have done more with his life than he had by then. He felt behind. And so in this moment, when he calls Peter a new name, he sets aside the fear of what could have been. In this initial meeting, Peter does something amazing. He drops his name. He's willing to drop his name and to begin to learn more about this man named Jesus. Now, sometimes we think that story then just goes there. Now they're touring around the countryside for the next three years, but that's actually not what happens. What happens next is Jesus disappears for about 40 days. He goes in the wilderness, the story of him being tempted by Satan. And I can imagine while Jesus is gone, these guys are standing around talking like, well, that was kind of crazy. Like this Messiah, that, did you see that when John baptized him and all this stuff he's telling? He just walked in and gave Peter a new name and now he's gone like, who was this guy? Where did he go? And then it says, later on, it says that they were all out fishing, which was their trade. And they had their nets by the Sea of Galilee. So they weren't out on boats. They were standing close to the shoreline and they were fishing with nets. And Jesus comes by and he tells the guys, the way that says in the Bible, he says, come follow me. Like maybe the way we would we would understand that today is this. Hey, why don't you guys take a day off work and let's hang out? That's basically what Jesus did. He's like, come on, come hang out with me. And so for the next few days, Jesus, I mean, Jesus with Peter, Andrew, some other guys that would become disciples, they begin hanging out with Jesus. They go to this wedding. And at this wedding, they see Jesus' mom come and tell them that they're out of wine. And Jesus performs his first miracle. He turns water into wine. And they're like, oh my gosh, what is this? And then right after that, they, they see Jesus again. This guy comes up to Jesus and he says, look, I know you're a great teacher. My son is sick. Would you be willing to come visit and heal him? And Jesus is like, you know, I don't even need to go. Your son will be healed when you get home. And the disciple Peter and them are seeing this for the first time. And they're beginning to be like, what is going on? And, and I love what they did. When Jesus called to them, they dropped their nets. They stopped what they were doing and said, I am going to put some importance in connecting with this guy. So he calls them. Then he impresses them. Probably one of the things that Jesus did the most that really impressed Peter was it says later on uh, that uh, it was on a, on a Sabbath. Jesus was at the temple teaching, and after he was done teaching, it says he immediately went to Peter's house. So by this point, they're, they're friends. They're hanging out. Peter's mom was sick. It says she had a high fever. And so Jesus walks in, and, and uh, Peter's probably fretting. The whole household's fretting, and, and Jesus comes in, and he heals Peter's mom, right there on the spot. 
And, and even says in scripture, like she felt good enough afterwards that she got up and immediately started fixing dinner for everybody. And I thought, maybe that was Jesus' really motive in healing her. I mean, you know, like, no food after church on Sunday? Like, what's going on? So he comes in and he, and he heals her. And in that moment, Peter is just overwhelmed. And it says the next day they went out. And again, they're out on their boats this time. And as they're out on their boats, fishing, doing their trade, Jesus comes and uh, crowds are following him. And as they're following him, uh, he, they really push him up a little against the Sea of Galilee. And he asked Peter, he says, can I get on your boat and take me out a little bit so that I can teach the people? And so Peter does that. And as they do that, as they're done teaching, Jesus says, let's go a little farther out. Now, I want you to understand, Peter had had a tough day. It says in the Bible that he'd been fishing all night and they had not caught a thing. And they were there cleaning their nets, trying to get ready for the next day. Like he hadn't slept in hours. He was probably ready to get home. And Jesus is like, well, let's go out to the deep water, which meant it's not a little small ride. Like we're going out pretty far. And when they get out there, maybe G maybe Peter thought, you know, we're just going to hang out or whatever. But Jesus tells them to throw their nets back in the water. Now there's this guy. They know Jesus is not a fisherman. He's a carpenter by trade. They were frustrated. You don't fish during the day. All this kind of stuff. You don't throw your nets in the deep. It's just not what you do. Everything seemed crazy. But Peter probably was just like, I'm just ready to get home. So I'll do it. And he throws his nets in. And if you know this story that says their nets were immediately filled to a point that almost capsized the boat. Another boat had to come and fill up and carry these fish. And they get back to the shore. And Peter is overwhelmed with Jesus. He just becomes overwhelmed and he realizes in that moment that this man is no normal man. That this man is the Messiah. Peter actually says, I'm not worthy to be near you. And in that moment, it says that Peter did something unthinkable and the disciples did something unthinkable. They left their boats. They didn't just leave their nets. They left their boats to follow him completely. Now, I want you to understand, it wasn't just their boats, which was a symbol of their livelihood, but the largest catch they'd ever had in their life. A fortune. A monetary fortune. But they were so overwhelmed with who Jesus was and what he was doing in their life that they were willing to drop their boats and follow him. And I loved Peter. He, he dropped, changed his name. He dropped his nets. He dropped his boats to intertwine his life with this Messiah. And then scripture tells us over the next three years, Peter and Jesus were inseparable. Everywhere Jesus went, Peter was there. Peter had a front row seat at the Sermon on the Mount. Peter watched as thousands were fed with just a few loaves and fishes. He watched as the blind were able to see as those who had never been able to walk could stand up and walk again. He even saw dead people come back to life. And he even got to walk on the very water that he used to fish on. When he would go out and fish, he literally got to walk on top of that water. Things could not seem to get any better. Not only was Jesus the Messiah, the Lamb of God that would bring salvation to all the world, to Israel and to all of mankind, but this man was Peter's friend. And I think Peter would say it was his best friend. And I want you to hear this of how their lives got so intertwined because the story is about to shift. Because at the end of those three years, everything 
falls apart. Jesus begins to shift his teaching, talking about a time when he won't be there. I don't know about you, have you ever had one of those really good friends, and, and I've, I've had many of them here in, uh, in this city and, and even in this church, like I can just hear in their tone a little bit like their New York days are coming to a close. No, 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 like, no, let me wait till spring, or remember it gets better in the spring, but I can just hear like they're starting to miss things and long for things that aren't, the, and like you can just hear in their words of like, almost I'm not going to be with you that much longer and I joked with you guys before then comes the invitation to brunch where they tell me Patrick we have something to tell you and you know in a couple weeks they're gone and I'm in my apartment weeping and you know not too much sometimes but but we we all have and this is what Jesus was doing here with Peter he was preparing and his teaching shifted and then he started actually talking about his death like that that this body must die and Peter's is Peter's confused and he tells Jesus that he would die for him. And Jesus actually tells him, Peter, actually, you won't. You're actually going to abandon me. You're going to abandon your Messiah, your friend, and you're going to deny that you even knew me. And Peter is actually disgusted with this thought. And he cries out, and he, they're having their last meal together. They don't know it's their last meal, but they're having a meal together. And Peter literally stands up and he says, look, everybody else sitting at this table may abandon you, deny you, betray you, but not me, not your best friend, not the one that I have spent the last three years of my life intertwining our souls together. I will die for you before I deny you. And he's disgusted with even that thought that Jesus could say that. And then it begins to unravel. Judas betrays Jesus. The temple guards come and arrest Jesus. Peter tries to defend him, and Jesus tells him to back down, and he and the other disciples watch helplessly as the guards take away Jesus. And in just a few days, Peter's world will come crashing down. What was once certain is now wavering. Why is this happening? What is going on in this craziness of this moment? Peter begins to let his guard down, and he forgets that he's Peter, the rock on which Jesus named, and he starts thinking about being Simon again. In the next few hours after the arrest, Peter is going to make some decisions that he'll end up regretting. He's going to let fear, doubt, anger, pride, and discouragement creep back into his mind. The story unfolds like this. He and John, the, the other disciple, uh, begin to follow Jesus after he's been arrested. They follow, they were taken to the court of the high priest. And it says in scripture that John knew the high priest or was known by the high priest and so he was allowed into where Jesus was going to be tried. And Peter stayed outside. And while Peter was staying outside, he was beginning to warm himself by the fire. And he was surrounded by servants and, and uh, officials from the, from the high priest that were talking about Jesus and what was going to happen to Jesus. And while John was inside, he says he sent out a servant girl to tell Peter, come on in. This was the, it says in the Bible, like, this was the girl who worked the door. I mean, this was like the, the girl at the rope, the club that was like, you know, you're not on the list. John was on the list. John got in and he's like, hey, can you let my buddy Peter in? And she's like, all right, I'll go get him. And that's literally what happened. And so Peter's friend is inside, Jesus is inside, being mocked, being falsely accused. He's hearing all of this, and he can imagine what is going on. 
But instead of thinking, how can he get there and get inside to be with Jesus, his mind begins to disassociate with Jesus. And this serving girl comes and asks him, come in. Aren't you the disciple that was with Jesus? And she's basically saying, John sent me to get you. And he's like, no, no, not me. Not me. And this wasn't a threat. This was an invitation to come in and be with Jesus during a difficult time. He says, no. And she goes off. I imagine she's confused because she thought that's what you know, John said he was wearing, so I don't, I don't know who is this guy. And, and then they come back, and I'm sure John's confused, like, why would Peter not come in? Maybe she talked to the wrong guy. And then Peter just stays out by the fire, and the other people around, then it says, begin to ask him two other times, no, no, you are that. I saw you walk up with the other guy. And he's like, no, wasn't me. And then it says the guy who was actually a, a relative of the guy who cut who Peter's ear, he cut off. He says, no. I saw you in the garden. You're the guy who cut off my, my 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 friend's ear. And Peter's like, no. And then he even gets so declarative where he says this, I don't even know him. I don't know who you are talking about. And then it says the, the rooster crows, the sign that God, that Jesus gave Peter. That would be a signal that he would deny him three times before that happened. Can you imagine the guilt? washed over Peter in that moment of this being so intertwined with Jesus his best friend and now to have made decisions where he's almost done everything he could to separate himself we have a connection with Peter I know each of us in here have had moments like this in our lives moments where we have experienced complete failure our integrity is compromised our character has been proving lacking our word carries no power we don't just stumble we completely fall on our faces we made decisions we never intended to make we lost sight of what was truly meaningful and we fell victim to fear lust greed pride anger despair and it ensnared us it didn't just trip us but i want you to hear today the issue we're talking about today is not how to keep us from getting there in our lives but instead, how do we respond when we find ourselves like Peter, outside, alone, humiliated, and guilty? Because we're going to be there. Guilt can be a deadly foe. There's a difference between being guilty and actually living under the power of guilt. We're all guilty of sins. We all do things wrong, but we also all have a way to step out of that guilt and not let it define our lives and not let our lives be defined by failure, shame, and guilt. But we're going to pick back up in John 21 and actually see that Peter chose guilt over hope. This is, this is where we find Peter in 21. Jesus had come back from the dead. Peter had seen the empty tomb. He had actually been in a room a couple of times when Jesus miraculously appeared to encourage them. But Peter had yet to have a conversation with the risen Jesus. Instead, he went back to the way things were. Look at John 21, verses 2 and 3, and it says this. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. <clears throat> Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got in the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Peter's back where Jesus found him, on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, back to fishing. If, if you look, he is even... 
beginning to refer himself and, and is referred to here again as Simon Peter. It's not just Peter, it's going back to who he was. It picked up where he had dropped before. It picked up his name, his nets, and his boats. His guilt was too big to keep moving forward. Instead, it was he had to go back. He had to carry this guilt and now to find him. So they go out and fish, and what happens? I love it. They don't catch anything. Why not? I don't know, but I can tell you probably why Peter thought they didn't catch anything. He's like, it's my fault, guys. Like, God's punished me for this. Like, this is still based on all I did to Jesus. Like, I'm never going to be able to do anything good in my life again. He felt like he was being punished, and he just had to accept that this is my fate now. I'm back to fishing, and I'm not even very good at that. And that's what guilt does to us. It bends us. It weighs us down. So why do we fall into this trap? Why do we choose guilt? We fail, we fall flat on our faces, and we don't think we deserve to recover. We don't deserve to be forgiven. Why do we allow guilt to take control of our lives instead of hope? There's a few reasons I want you to see. I think we do this, and we saw this in Peter's life, because guilt, first of all, guilt is a loyal companion. Guilt is willing to go wherever you want it to go. Wherever you walk in your life, guilt will go right there with you. If you want to take it into any relationship, it will come into any relationship. It will interact with it, with anything that you do. It will come to you into any situation, and you don't even have to invite it. It will just show up and just come along. And we actually start to feel like ourselves. We're not like ourselves unless we feel guilty. It's this, this loyal companion. It'll go with you wherever you want it to go. But guilt is also a powerful motivator. We learn to use guilt. We try and harness its power to make sure we don't make the same mistake again. We remind ourselves that every time we feel the present pain of guilt, that it's a reminder that I will never do that again. I'll never go down that pathway again. And we use guilt to tell ourselves that we can't do who we can't be, and how we can't win. We stop. It stops us in our tracks. It motivates us to stay where we are instead of moving toward freedom because I know what will happen if I do. I'll mess up again. But guilt is also a ruthless master. When we allow it to be our companion and our motivator, I want you to hear guilt is no friend. Instead, it is this ruthless master that slowly places shackles around our hearts and our mind. It cunningly ensnares us and creates a prison around us. Guilt has one objective in your life, and it is to destroy you. And we must break free. And Peter does. And this is what I love as we continue the story. Verse 4 through 8 say this. Just as they were breaking. So they've been fishing all night, not caught anything. Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast your nets on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, who was John, therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he had stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. 
The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. This had to be a surreal moment for the disciples and for Peter. Like a deja vu moment, right? Like, right, there's somebody we can't quite tell who that is. I don't recognize him as another fisherman, but he's telling us to throw our nets in a place and at a time that doesn't seem right. And as soon as they do, they could feel the weight of the fish immediately in the nets. And this is then that realization, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And I can imagine what was going through Peter's mind at that point. I think it all came really, really quick. Because what it says is he basically threw on his, his outer garments and he jumped in the water to swim as fast as he could to shore. There was probably a lot going through his mind. I, he probably thought about the last time he was on a boat and he saw Jesus. It was rocky and he said, can I come? And he said, come. And he began to walk on the Peter at this point wasn't worried about walking on water. He wasn't worried about fishing again. He was worried about whatever he could do to, to get to where Jesus was. Why? Why? Because I think in this moment, Peter was tired of living in the middle. In the middle. Feeling guilty and wanting the hope that he once had. Feeling shame, but wanting to, to just put all the cards on the table and deal with it like the way it is. I think it'd come to the point where he had wanted to have Jesus, either forgive him or condemn him. Just let me know where I stand. He just couldn't wait any longer. His guilt had become his new master, his ruthless master, and he saw a moment to break free, to run back to hope, or at least to the idea of hope. He didn't dive into the water to abandon his fishing companions. He dove into the water to leave his companion of guilt behind. And to say, I want that. I want hope. Again, Peter was swimming for his life, his new life that he had found in Jesus. And then what happens? Verse 15 says they, they all hung out and had dinner together, or breakfast together. And after breakfast, it says in verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. What a powerful question what a tense moment i don't know about you but like if i wasn't the other disciples were hanging out there on the beach with him like when jesus asked this question you ever been in one of those where you're like is this a conversation i'm supposed to be in or should i bow out you know like like when people are over your house you, the, you know they start arguing the couple starts arguing you're like that's uh time for us to go well we'll catch you guys next time like i imagine the disciples were having that moment this tense moment jesus is sitting there and he's 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 saying look peter we're gonna let's do this let's do this and i love peter jumps right in he doesn't say well can we can we go down the beach and talk just by ourselves like he he does this and he starts to question and it actually i think it's key that they're there because it actually takes them back to the last time they were all having a meal together when peter stood up and said even if all of these guys leave you i won't and so what's Jesus' first question? Peter, do you still love me more than these guys? Some of the ones who stayed with me? And, and Peter, Peter, like, he, he takes that on and he answers. And, and I want us to see Jesus ask him three times in here the same question. And I think we see in some of the repetitive things here, we're going to learn how do we actually restore hope over guilt. And the first thing is realizing this. Hope is deeper than guilt. 
Hope is deeper in guilt. Do you remember Peter's given name? It was Simon, right? You see what Jesus addresses Peter as here? It's Simon, not as Peter. In this one word, he's reminding Peter, I know you. I know who you are. Nothing about Peter surprised him. I know all about you the moment I met you, and I know all about you now, and I know everything that you have been through. Do you remember Simon? I do, and I love Simon. I love you. I love all the baggage that comes with Simon, but I still want you to be Peter. I still want you to be a rock and a hope and a foundation for others to build their hope on. In this one statement, he's reminding him that while sin is great, grace is greater. There is no sin or stain on our souls that goes deeper than the hope we can find in Jesus. And we have to just come to a point like Peter where we have to stop sinking and start swimming toward the hope of Christ. And the second thing I want you to see in these interactions is this. Hope condemns guilt instead of condemning us. It condemns the guilt, not us. This Jesus had every opportunity in this moment to condemn Peter, to punish him for his misdeeds, to pile more guilt on his shoulder. But instead, he uses phrasing in these three questions to condemn the guilt. And the first one where he says, the first time he asked the question, he says, do you love me more than these? He was allowing Peter to begin to walk away from his pride and to say, Peter, do you still want to impress these guys that are around you? And Peter was able to step away from his pride and Jesus was able to separate him from what condemned him and brought the guilt. And in Peter's response, he says, I just love you. I love you. I don't care about these guys anymore. I love you. And then in the second one, he removes the term. When, he, when In verse 16, he doesn't use the term more than these anymore, but he still uses the term Simon, son of John. And he knew that Peter had a problem with identity, with where he was finding his true identity. Peter wanted to be liked by people. He wanted to be important. He wanted to be the, the special one. And Jesus is reminding him that while guilt would try to tell you that you are never enough, hope is knowing that the Messiah chose you, Simon, son of John, as you were. You didn't have to do anything to earn my love, so there's nothing you can do to lose it. It's not based off your pedigree or your prestige. It's based off the fact that you are mine. And then in the third encounter, he actually changes the word love. You look at it in the original text, and the first two he'd been using the word agape, which means a, a sacrificial love. He's basically saying, would you, would you sacrifice for me? If you had it to go do over again, would you change something? That's basically what the first two were. If you had a second chance, would you do it? <coughs> and Peter's answer was yes. And then in the third one, he makes a slight change in the word that says this. Do you phileo me? Like Philadelphia, phileo. Which means this type of love is, a, is an affectionate love. And what Jesus is asking here is not just, do you love me? Do you? Would you go and do it over? He's like, but now, do you want to love me? Do you want to be my friend? Do you still want what we have? And he's allowing Peter here in this moment to choose hope again. To let guilt go and choose hope again. I want to close with one last thought. It's this. Hope not only condemns our guilt, but it redeems 
instead of remembering our past. It redeems us instead of remembering our past. And every one of these, after Peter replies, I love you, Jesus tells him to go do something. He says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. When Jesus first met Peter, he was a fisherman. And when he called Peter, he said, he changed his calling just a little bit. And he said, Peter, you're no longer going to fish for fish, but now you're going to fish for men. Still a fisherman. Now I'm just giving you something new to fish for. But Jesus in this moment, in this moment of redemption, doesn't just refine Peter's calling again. He completely redeems the brokenness of Peter. And he's putting him back together as a new creation. Not a better version of who Peter was, but a new version of who Peter is to be. He moved him from being a fisherman to what? A shepherd. A shepherd. Now, if you were a Jewish man living in that time, there was no higher calling than to be compared to a shepherd called by God. That was Moses. That was David. That was Abraham. And even God himself was shown to be a shepherd. This was a calling, and this is the power of hope in your life and in my life. Placing our hope in the Lord can take the worst of who we are and turn it into the best of who we are. Peter had the desire to always impress other people. Now redeemed by the hope of Jesus, he had the passion to care for other people. Peter had the desire to be special, unique, and have a, his name mean something. Now redeemed by the hope of Jesus, Peter's name and story will bring hope into the lives of of people even to this day. So my question for you today is this. Have you been redeemed by the hope of the Lord? You've been redeemed. You allow the worst of you to become the best of you through the hope of Christ. This is not us trying to be better, do better, just make you in a better... It is choosing hope so that redemption can play out in our life. Are you letting guilt continue to remind you of what you were or what you can't do, how God can't love you, how there is a limit on your worth and potential? Stop choosing guilt. Just like Peter, get out of the boat and this time swim to Jesus for hope and restoration. It's available to you as well. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me?